Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep. Seven Day Terror by R.A. Lafferty. First published in Worlds of If Science Fiction Magazine, uh, March 1962. I'm, I'm not actually sure how to read the name of this magazine. It might be If Worlds of Science Fiction or Worlds of Science Fiction If. But <laughs> in the copyright details, it just says If. And then I guess Worlds of Science Fiction is the description. Is this a science fiction story, Eric? Uh, well, that's an interesting question. I think it's really important to try to f- figure out, and I, I, I'm not sure we can ever come up with a definitive answer. The story, uh, in the story, uh, a little boy, uh, Clarence uh, Willoughby, comes into the room, into the kitchen where his mother is doing domestic stuff and asks if uh, she would like him to disappear something. And she asks, what do you mean? And he said, well, I've just built a disappearer. Um, And she says, well, you know, you better not disappear anything in here because it could be valuable. Uh, Sorry. She says, yeah, go ahead. And he says, well, but I better not do it in here because it could be valuable. And she thinks, oh, well, what a smart kid I've got. Maybe I have a prodigy. Mm. So he, he goes outside and he see she suggests go look at uh, the neighbor's cat. Nobody would miss th- that cat except maybe the neighbor herself. So he looks through this device that he's constructed and he disappears the cat. And then the story ensues with more and more things being disappeared until eventually um, things get undisappeared. And how that happens is the nature of the story, which maybe we should talk a little more about. But. Before that, the question you raise about Seven Day Terror, by the way, it's not the Seven Day Mm -hmm. Terror, it's Seven Day Terror, which also makes a difference. I think the style is clearly under wonderful control in Lafferty's writing. Uh, We're given directions as to how to make the the disappearer. Mm -hmm. All right. I mean, we're actually told that you uh, you all you have to do is. Take a beer can, cut the other end off of it. Then you take two pieces of red cardboard with peepholes in the middle and fit them in the ends. You'll look through the peepholes and blink. Whatever you look at will disappear. Now, you and I know, at least I think we know, because frankly, I don't have personal experience, but I think I know that if I were to do that, nothing would disappear. Hmm. Um, but candidly, I've never actually tried it. Uh, candidly, I did not mean that pun. Nothing. Um, I have not actually tried it. So maybe it works. But if we presume that Lafferty wants us to presume that in we in our world of us, the readers, this won't work, then this is something that is just crazy. It's the kind of thing a little kid would come up with and say, look, I've got a disappearer. You know, I've got an imaginary friend. Um, Except in the world of this story, in fact, things disappear. And we know that they disappear because one adult after another attests to that by having to deal with the consequences of the disappearances. So in as much as we are given specific technical instructions as to how to construct this thing, in fact, we're given the instructions twice, um, it looks like science fiction, right? I mean, mm-hmm. here's the 
right? right? But in as much as it's something that cannot possibly exist um, and, and there's no explanation for it, that is, we don't see the rules of disappearance that make this technology work. <laughs> it looks like fantasy. On the other hand, when you have something fantastic that actually exists in the world, we often know in a story that it actually exists in the narrative world because people who don't participate in the fantastic attest to its existence, as in uh, the black cat, when, you know, you could say the narrator of that Poe story is crazy, all these things aren't happening, but when his house burns down, he hears the neighbors going, oh my gosh, how absurd, amazing, astonishing. And then he looks and there is the bar relief of the cat in the uh, wet plaster above the, the, the bridal bed. So um, the, the witnessing of the, un, the indirectly involved characters lets us know this really happened. Mm -hmm. So, okay, it really happened. Now, if it really happened, I remind you that – the sheriff, when the first disappearance occurs, immediately assumes that the problem is one of the Willoughby kids. Mm -hmm. So that the Willoughby kids can do really weird, fantastic things seems to be considered normal in this world. Um, as if as if you had a story set in, uh, say, uh, a medieval fantasy and. One person is Merlin. Nobody else can do magic, but Merlin can do magic. But everybody knows Merlin can do magic. So that makes it look as if it's a fantasy. But if, in fact, it's not magic, but it's something that you can get technical instructions for, the way Prospero gets instructions for doing things from his books in The Tempest, then it's science fiction. I don't know which it is. I just know there are good reasons to say it's not realism. And yet, in what it teaches us about the relations between children and adults, I think it's very realistic. Mm -hmm. How does that, will that sound to you, Jesse? Am That's, I going off on a deep end? No, that sounds right. Um, I, I I would say that in a certain sense, it's very science fictional. Um, one of the, the some scientists actually show up, right? They all every everything in the story is very carefully constructed, very. I mean, for such a playful story, it, it it takes everything very, well, I don't know if Lafferty took it seriously or it just ends up feeling like it, it's not tossed off. Every character's name does work, right? So there's three eminent scientists who show up, um, and they are gathered together in an untidy suite that looked as though it belonged to a drunken sultan. One, one of them is named Dr. Velenkov Vonk. Another is named Willie Mag Willie McGilly, <laughs> and the third um, is Ar Arpad Arkabaranin. Um, and Willie right. McGilly uh, has an explanation. He says, uh, "Who would have thought that you could do it with a beer can and two pieces of cardboard? When I was a boy, I used an oatmeal box and a red Crayola." Right. So right. it seems to be like 
when you said you not everyone knows you can't disappear things but right i was like actually i'm not sure that i had this exact experience but i'm i know i've looked through like toilet tubes before and you know long you know those ones that for wrapping christmas presents the very long sort of toilet tube cardboard uh-huh. things and you look through that as if it's a telescope right and if you blink you're it's so long and you're holding it so far away from you whatever you're looking at moves and goes away so if you're looking at like an ant on the sidewalk um and you blink your eye just ho- trying to hold it steady it disappears out of the frame of the two holes that you've put or in the in case of the beer can the two holes the pin holes right of course it would disappear right. in a certain sense um it, it's completely legitimate in another sense, uh, the way it appears in the story, um, with the adults seeming to agree, uh, and the narrator seeming to agree with the fact that he has invented a, a disappearer, and the fact that <laughs> the sister says, I knew he stole it out of my diary, right? Right. Uh, the fact that all of these things conspire um, makes it very hard to classify as you know, straight-up science fiction. Um, yep. But on the other hand, uh, I always think of of ki- little kids as scientists, and I I think of myself that way too. You know, they're always asking why, 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 why is this like that? Why is that rule like that? How come this works that way, right? And then at some point, most people stop asking that question. They get annoyed by the answers, or they just get pounded into submission by school or whatever it is. And they stop being the scientists of of the little, you know, natural scientist kind, and they become either not scientists or a different kind of scientist. Ones that write serious papers, <laughs> like like the serious people who show up, or the very serious detectives who show up. Right. I think you're absolutely right. I think that th- this is really a deep story, mm-hmm. and it celebrates that childlike sense of exploration that that drive to curiosity the the notion that well what would happen if i just did this um i I think that's really in in many ways what the story is about um to to recap um the story a little clarence goes in and asks to uh to uh does his mother want something uh disappeared Uh, she says no he goes but you know not in here he goes and gets rid of the cat then he goes down to a pot house, which is a, an old-fashioned word, in this case, for a small tavern. And he asks Nokomis, the bartender, uh, if he wants something disappeared. And Nokomis says, well, you know, let's do it on the outside. So the kid turns around and he disappears a fire plug, uh, causing a flood. And that's when the mayor and the sheriff and everybody start getting involved, because it's not just like he opened the hydrant. I mean... The water is just flooding the whole area. So they put in a new plug and he makes it disappear again. It just keeps on going and going. Now, uh, he's wreaking havoc. It is a seven-day terror. But in fact, he causes almost no harm to individuals. Um, He makes some guy's hat disappear. And then there's a tiny trickle of blood down his forehead. So the disappearance didn't work 100%. congruent with the phenomenon, and I mean that in the technical sense, that 
that the boy thinks that he is trying to disappear. Um, so, you know, he sees the hat as a thing, but somehow the disappear gets a little bit more. Um, He's seeing what the world will do, and he's a little bit cautious. He understands that he needs to be cautious. But the story builds from that sense of childlike curiosity to bring in lots of other satiric barbs. Uh, Barb is too strong a word. Satiric winks at what other people do wrong. Grownups, for example, those three eminent scientists, they know that you can make a disappearer. You know, Willie McGilley says that, you know, mm-hmm. who would have thought you could do it? Well, any kid would have thought it by trying out the alternative. Uh, notice the language they use. These eminent scientists confirm that in this world there can be a disappearer. And yet the, the narrator is making fun of scientists by the words he puts in their own mouths. Um, this transcends the metaphysical says uh, David Velikoff Vonk, Dr. Velikoff Vonk. This transcends the metaphysical. It impinges on the quantum continuum. In some ways, it obsoletes boff. Well, of course, boff is another word for foolishness. Um, But in fact, this is just the opposite. And this this is a 1962 story. Emanuel Velikovsky, with his incredible ideas about how the world has developed, Velikovskyism is even a thing, begins to come into the world's consciousness with this publication in 1950 of When Worlds Collide, which was still a big enough deal that when I was a teenager in the 50s, I read When Worlds Collide. So I think that the 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 boff that's becoming obsolete um, maybe has something to do with Dr. Velikov. Um, and, and then the next one, Arpad uh, Arkabaranan replies, the contingence on the intransigence is the most mystifying aspect. <laughs> what the hell does that mean? You know, it so it's mystifying. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So these scientists are being condemned in their own mouths. I, I think a lot of things goes on. Things are going on. One of the things that I love is the uh, the, the satire against capitalism. Uh, they start replacing the fire hydrants, right? Because the, the first one has gone, has disappeared, and it floods. Then they and another one, and uh, and it disappears, and it floods, right? So Nokomis, the bartender at the the small tavern right outside, you know, where the fire plug is, when there's a big crowd gathered around, he says, "Come on in and try one of our new fire hydrant highballs." And you will all be happier. These are made of good corn whiskey, brown sugar, and hydrant water from this very gutter. You can be the first to drink them. Business was phenomenal at the plugged nickel. So even the name of this pothouse has to do with capitalism, has to do with monetary exchange. So he wants to take advantage of it. Now, who the hell is this guy, Nokomis? Well, he's the bartender. I get that. But I also know that's a very well-known name. In fact, Nokomis is a character in Longfellow's poem, Hiawatha. There's other Nokomises in literature, but Nokomis is a character in Longfellow's poem, Hiawatha. And R.A. Lafferty was part uh, Native American. Uh, So I can't help but think that he probably knew what he was doing when he Mm -hmm. picked this name. The character, however, in Hiawatha Mm -hmm. is Hiawatha's grandmother. And the word... Nokomis in Ojibwe means my grandmother. Hmm. So Lafferty is giving us 
I mean, Lafferty is a native Oklahoman, which has a large Native American population. Lafferty is giving us this Indian selling firewater, using, in fact, firewater <laughs> out of a hydrant. Instead of having white men selling the firewater to the Indians and keeping them down, we've got an Indian selling firewater to the white men and making as many plug nickels out of it as he can. Right? So the, the, the fact that capitalism swoops in whenever it can seems to me to be part of the, the gentle satire of this story, just as we see the scientists swooping in, um, but being absolutely useless, just scratching their heads, or the mayor swooping in. Uh, at the very beginning, this tone, I think, is established, this tone of gentle irony, um, when Officer Comstock comes around and without having any evidence whatsoever, he says, there's only seven possible explanations. Mm. One of the seven Willoughby kids did it. I don't know how. It'd take a bulldozer to do it, that is, remove the uh, fire plug. Um, and then there'd be something left of the plug. But however they did it, one of them did it. And then it says, Officer Comstock had a talent for getting near the truth of dark matters. <laughs> Not to the truth, right? For getting near the truth of dark matters. This is why he was walking a beat out in the boondocks instead of sitting in a chair downtown. So, you know, it turns out that this guy is right. But he's, you know, he's not right enough to be able to make his world work for him the way he would like it to work. One adult or white character after another fails. Even Mrs. Comstock, I mean, Mrs. Willoughby, when Clarence says, um, you know, I better not use my disappear in here. She thinks, hmm, do I have a precocious child? If you read through the story with care, you find out that the seven Willoughby children are in age order going down Clarence, Clarissa, Clementine, Harold, Corinne, Jimmy and Cyril. Clarissa is the one who comes to the mayor and the other functionaries and says, I can make this. I can fix this for you. I can fix it. And she knows she can fix it because she knows what went wrong because she had written the instructions for making it disappear in her diary. And she figured that Clarence had found them. So when all is said and done, she, in fact, is the more precocious one, <laughs> the, the smaller one, the younger one, the female one. It's 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 the littlest among us who turn out to be the most powerful. So all of the assumptions are wrong. And then, of course, it goes to this really great joke at the end, which also has capitalist implications. And um, I mean, I could talk about them, but but if this seems sensible to you, maybe, you know, what do you think of the ending, Jesse? Um, well, what part of the ending you, you specifically pointing to? Because I, I didn't see uh, the huge capitalist reading. You're you're looking into it. I, I saw a lot of language stuff, but let's let's hear your explanation for that. Well, at the end, Clarissa says to everybody, um, OK, I can I can make everything come back. I can make a comeback. Um, and here's what you need. To, and they say, really? OK, how? And she says, um, OK, here's what you've got to do. You've got to give me um, what is it that she a asked? A watch, a hammer, a chemistry, uh, some chemicals, some black velvet and a pound of rock and candy rock, and rock candy. 
right? Right. Okay. And she watches the gold watch. She watches the gold watch. And when it gets to exactly the right moment, she smashes it with the hammer. And at that moment, things come back. They start coming back. And she says they're going to come back in order. Right. Now, how did you know that that would happen? Well, she says, because I knew that Clarence had made a seven day disappearer. That was the one I wrote down in my diary. I also had a nine day, a 13 day, a 27 day and an 11 year disappearer. I was going to make a 13 day, a 13 day one. But for that, you have to color the ends with the blood from a little boy's heart. And Cyril cried every time I tried to make a good cut. And she was experimenting on her brother and trying to get blood out of his heart. Uh, nobody says, what, you were doing that to your brother? They said, you really know how to make all these? <laughs> she is the great scientist, right? Yes, but I shudder if the knowledge should ever come into unauthorized hands. I shudder too, Clarissa, uh, the sheriff says. So the only one of these directions she has written down was clearly the seven-day disappearer. And she knew that because Clarence must have read her diary. Um, so why did you need uh, this stuff? Why did you want the chemicals? She said, for my chemistry set. And the black velvet? For doll dresses. And the pound of rock candy? How did you ever get to be mayor of this town? Sorry, mayor, not sheriff at this point. How did you ever get to be mayor of this town if you have to ask questions like that? What do you think I wanted the rock candy for? Well, obviously, she just wanted rock candy. So this was an opportunity to get stuff from the adults. You see what I mean about mm -hmm. capitalism? Mm -hmm. She's getting everything she wants. One last question, said the mayor. Why did you smash my gold watch with a hammer? Oh, said Clarissa. That was for dramatic effect. <laughs> she didn't need to smash it at all. She knew things would come back at the end of seven days. That was for dramatic effect. So all of that, in effect, if I may say, was marketing. Yeah. It's just like Nokomis selling fire water as fire water. It's marketing. And so I think that if you look at these different pieces of the story together mm – -hmm. There really is a lot going on here about capitalism, I but right. I must thank you. But I must say that that last sentence that was for dramatic effect <laughs> asks us to think, hey, what kind of language is being used here? And so since you said you saw a lot about language, what kind of language do you see being used here? <laughs> so. Uh, he he he's a master of the turn of phrase. The the way just sentences and paragraphs flow is hilarious and wonderful, delightful. I guess is the best word for it. Um, here this is so the uh, officer Comstock, some mostly referred to as Officer Comstock, once referred to as Officer C, by the narrator who seems to be a collective of. I don't know, all children everywhere or something, including adult children and the, the R.A. Lafferty himself, um, writes this uh, when after Officer C. Comstock is interviewing each of the children in the family in turn, he eventually turns to uh, the three-year-old. He says, Cyril, cried the officer, com officer Comstock in a terrible voice, not a terrifying voice, a terrible voice. That's that's the dial. That's straight from the story. That's not me editorializing. Right. Not a terrifying voice, comma a terrible voice. Period. He felt terrible now. 
Right. And uh, Cyril uh, replies, great green bananas, said Cyril. I'm only three years old. I don't see how it's even my responsibility. <laughs> so <laughs> the three-year-old is getting indignant at the fact that he's being uh, investigated by uh, the police officer. Um, <laughs> and that yep. he's using the language of adults and also of children in the same sentence is just, it's delightfully wonderful. I don't know what's going on. Uh, there's so many things going on in this, in this very short story that are mystifying. Um, if not, uh, on the surface level, at least subconsciously they're doing work. So, uh, twice in the story, Clarissa, says resuscitator resuscitator anybody want a resuscitator and then on the next column resuscitator 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 anybody want a resuscitator this is all during the investigation so what is she Actually, say? i'm sorry i was just trying to remind those who haven't read the story tell those who haven't read the story some people may in fact have drowned in this flood that's so. right the the line is um, and if some of them drowned, and we don't, we don't say that they did drown in the flood. And brother, it was a flood. Why you, why you have to expect things like that? Um, <laughs> so this is a story in which animals are disappeared slash destroyed, but no, they come back. Uh, people lose fingers and toes. Um, somebody's hat disappears, but also part of their head and earlobes, right? Um, and yet all of this, this terror, this horror is, it's to be, uh, sort of laughed off in an almost clown car of police officers and government officials and scientists all investigating and, um, words, one of the, one of the things, uh, the name of that, that, uh, bar, the pot house, as you call, as the story calls it, um, is the plugged nickel. Now, we don't talk much about plugged nickels today, but I, I, I've heard the expression in old movies, right? Well, plugged nickel is a nickel uh, with a piece of different kind of metal inside of it, a silver inset or something, in, other metal inset, and then having had that metal removed. So in Canada, we have a, a $2 coin that has two different kinds of metal. And if you... Uh, so care to desire and uh, break the law, you can knock out the center part of the coin and just have a a coin with a hole in the center. Some Chinese coins are similarly um, have holes in the center of them, but that they they start that way. Whereas this is it's two pieces of metal bonded together, and the thing is, is a plugged nickel is a nickel that had its hole removed. Here we've got a lot of holes in this story. There's the beer can with two pieces of cardboard on it, both with pinholes, one with the bottom of the can cut off and a piece of cardboard with a pinhole in it. And you look through the two holes, which are actually kind of three holes, um, and make things disappear. Then you've got the fire hydrant, which is called a plug, fire plug. It's even explicitly said in the story, which becomes unplugged four times in the events of the of the story um and you've got the 
restaurant or the bar called the fire. So there's plugging and unplugging going on everywhere. It's funny that a plug, plugged nickel is actually an unplugged nickel, right? Well, yeah, you know, that that's sort of the way English goes. If right. You, uh, right. Is a, is a seeded fruit one that has seeds in it or one that's had the seeds removed? That's right. We it's seeded just, it or we oh, we took the seeds out of it. Right. It's, it's 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 a funny situation. And that I think that that playing with language is the key to understanding what genre it is. It's in the fun genre right it's in the <laughs> it's in the um uh you know the connection between language and reality is a strong connection but it is also a magical connection and when we have clarissa saying resuscitator resuscitator anybody want a resuscitator um is she saying kiss kiss anybody want to kiss because <laughs> uh you know, everybody's drowning it, it's it's almost like Everybody's agreeing to play with the kids in this story as the, you know, the fire hydrant is shooting water or the lack of a fire hydrant is shooting water into the streets and kids seem to be playing all day. This must be the summer, right? Everybody's out. Right. It's children's games, right? The whole thing's... Except this world, they're real. And in a certain sense, they were real then too, right? When you were a little kid and you were playing in the fire hydrant uh, spray uh, in the summer. All the games you were playing were real, at least for a time, weren't they? Uh, unless you hurt the grown-ups, though, they didn't much care. Right, they'll play along. Here, but, well, <laughs> there's something else going on here, though, As in addition to what you're saying. Uh, when the mayor says, you know, we've got to do something now because the warehouse is out of fire plugs. Right. Right, there's... There are adult world consequences to these child games. And I think I think the atmosphere is created in a, in a, in a lovely way by this interpenetration of of the adult and children world. Uh, if I'd like to read another section when we get the the long catalog of the disappearances one after another, we get one that I think highlights, again, your point about the the skill of the language as George Mullendorf came up the walk to his house, his dog Pete ran up to meet him and took a flying leap to his arms. The dog left the sidewalk, but something happened. The dog was gone, and only a bark lingered for a moment in the puzzled air. (laughs) Holy crap. I mean, how can air be puzzled? But in fact, the whole atmosphere of this town is one of puzzlement. And so this, this interesting strange personification of the air really works for the story as a whole. Lafferty is a terrific writer. Mm -hmm. He's a Catholic who, as far as I've been able to determine, never had any children. But here's the Willoughby family with seven kids under the at the age of nine and under. Right. Or seven between nine and three, who's the youngest. So basically they were having kids annually, something that some families have, and of those families who do that, they tend to be, in America, Catholic. Uh, Lafferty is writing a story, I think, about the real world, and what he is suggesting is that children, natural scientists, as you said when we began, Jesse, children see things in a way that allows them to ask questions that will allow them to discover one thing after another. 
but we get habituated to the things that we see and say. And if we become too habituated to them, we stop realizing the possible magic in the world. In, in the words of uh, Clarence, who's playing? This is for real. There is always more to say. <laughs> <laughs>